Y'all, welcome back to Kentucky Fried Wargaming, where two guys who aren't qualified to talk about anything decide to talk about a game with hard math and chance. I'm Jill. And I'm John. And on this episode, we're coming to you with a topic that is, uh, at first I thought not wargame important, and then I thought, ah, maybe it's kind of wargame adjacent. Uh, and then after having a, an interaction with somebody uh, I, I think is now wargame important and worth chatting about in our community specifically. Um, and that is the idea of uh, hot button issues in the hobby. And, you know, things that happen that you see spread around like wildfire on YouTube and forums and Facebook and, you know, wherever else you like to do your tweeters. Um, these things that really rile people up and uh, oftentimes, very rightly so, but specifically why we need to be a little careful about how we react to our community members when talking about these hot button topics. Um, and of course we are going to pull a recent hot button topic in another hobby adjacent area, uh, in from Dungeons and Dragons, which I will not be spicy about, but I feel strongly about, um, and use that as an example to kind of set the tone and walk you through why we think that maybe we as a community could do better when talking about some of these things. Because, you know, having discourse and discussion with your fellow community members is good. Usually. I mean, Are we going to fight on Twitter? Let's fight on Twitter. <laughs> John, no. Do not fight on Twitter. Do not fight in Facebook comment section. No one ever listens. Y no. You're not going to make a change to anybody in a Facebook comment thread. No. Even if you just get a couple of likes, it's it's really not going to validate anything at the end of the day. But what about my hobby progress? I mean, okay, we talk about that as long as you talk about games played. All right, let's go. All right, John. You brought yep. it up. You start. All right. Can do. Um, games played and hobby progress. Hobby progress. I continued working on Slaves of Darkness. Mm -hmm. I accidentally have 2,000 points of Slaves of Darkness because it's an elite army that I can just bring a bunch of, like, Oops. Chaos Knights, which are impeccable sculpts. Joseph is a terrible influence. and I'm a wonderful influence, and you are welcome for my existence. You're welcome every... for my service. Thank you. Uh, every unit is, like, a minimum of 200-something points. <laughs> so it's very easy to just accidentally have a whole force. Uh, and because I got the Slaves of Darkness like, box set for Christmas, uh, the one with the book and the War Scrolls and everything, it was a huge step up. So I have a ton of stuff to work through, and that was before the range got fully released, and I actually kind of really like that Vanguard box. I might end up picking that up in the future, um, because I think Slaves of Darkness is a faction I'm, I'm genuinely going to stick with. Um, hits a lot of the same notes of when I was younger, and uh, it's just fun. Like, I haven't even really played the faction, and I'm just having a blast painting them. And uh, I'm just happy that I have them. Which I think is a really good place to be in with, like, playing and hobbying and yada yada. Um, especially with some of these games that are just harder to get games in. But what isn't hard to get games in is A Song of Ice and Fire. Oh god, it's so easy to play. 
It's eminently and I, playable. And I played against Tanner's Baratheons um, with Stannis <laughs> with my Greyjoys and had a absolute blast. Uh, we had a knockdown, drag out, like battle of the past style fight where we played on a smaller board because we didn't really feel like pulling out the big, like the full table. Uh, I had like thrown my pack out, so it was kind of hard to move around too much. So we just played on a smaller table. With like this narrative of like, he's beaten me for like three games in a row, something like that, two, three games in a row. And I've been like this like forced retreat, this like fighting retreat into this pass. And now the Baratheons have like chased me in here and we're having this like stand fight where we, we fight, deal with this problem and uh, eked out a pretty substantial win for the Greyjoys. I was very proud of myself. I'd, I haven't won a game of Greyjoys yet and it was very good to figure the faction out per se. Yeah, it's a hard faction, and it's a hard faction that is slightly undertuned. So, like, yes. it's a double uphill fight. And uh, soon, we we're going to have another game where it is going to be, okay, we have gotten past the pass fight, and we're doing another open field fight, and that'll be a lot of fun. Kind of hoping that we get new cards for Song of Ice and Fire soon, because I would love to be able to play more, like, list-building game on the toilet uh like i do with the song <laughs> of us and fire um but yeah it's it's amazing we've done some episodes here about a song of ice and fire and if you haven't listened to them you should some uh yeah some we'll probably be doing more because it's an amazing game and like i i want to keep playing it and i got star wars legion stuff because i'm going to join joe in the simulations and play clones yes brothers at arms this is the first time john and i ever play the same faction yeah, it's going to be amazing. Like, like, we are certainly closest of close buds, but um, our faction tastes are diametrically opposed in every game system, I feel like. This is the one time where the stars aligned and John went, oh, God. You know, like, I kind of like tragic boys with guns, too. Well, like, we, the, the one, we have a Venn diagram, and in that center is Sad Boy, right? We have that yeah. Sad Boy center. And then you have a more wholesome, like... Ah, uh, let's let's enjoy like cardigans and nice things on the other end. On one end, and on the other end, it's like I I'm gonna drink half a bottle of whiskey and, and smoke half a pack of cigarettes in my like studded out jean jacket and just get listen to real loud music and fist fight like I don't know some asshole in a bar. <laughs> God, like there's there's a level of edge on my side that is slowly getting worn away by Joseph's soft cardiganness. <laughs> Join us, John. It's very comfortable. Yeah, I know. I put on fuzzy socks the other day. It changed my fucking life. <laughs> I'm telling you, dude. You put on wigwams. It's game over for the day. Oh, it's so it's so lovely. Yeah, you. Uh, I'll give you hope for the future. Eventually, I'll wear you down. Um, by God, I won't have faith in a higher being, but we will have faith in humanity, and you will have that. Just give it time. How dare you? You're welcome for my service. Well, tell me what you've done this week with a uh, hobby. Uh, well, that, first, I'll be I, your service. <laughs> first, I, uh, as I do every week, uh, basked in the glowing knowledge that I was right in John would love slaves to darkness. Um, you're welcome. But also, I have been continuing the hobby progress. Um, I, like every time I pull up Discord, it is like uh, it is still in that mode where like 
70% of the people I hang with are all playing World of Warcraft and the other like 30 are playing Hunt Showdown together in a Locked Threes channel. So like I'm just left to myself uh, and I've taken that time to get some hobby done. Um, specifically, I've dove in on characters. Uh, as I mentioned in the last podcast, uh, I have been painting the hell out of my Star Wars Legion stuff. And I would call it a backlog, but it wasn't a lot to begin with, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I had like the starter box and then just a couple of extra units. But, I mean, still, I feel immensely proud that it is almost done. Almost done. Uh, so this week I've been pushing to try to finish it entirely. So uh, I got to paint my favorite character in Star Wars lore, uh, and that is Captain Rex. And God, I cannot tell you how glad I am now that it's done, but how stressful it was while painting it. Um, that I put it on Instagram if folks want to see it, but this is my first project where I've really done freehand. Um, and Rex's helmet is one, very tiny, but two, has these sort of like battle painted markings on there that are stylized and it makes him stand out amongst some of the other clones, but trying to paint those like delicate swishy shapes, uh, uh, it was nerve wracking. I had to break out like my tiniest brush, my like Squidmar itty it like little it'll biddle brush and gently got it done but uh man i'm so glad with how he looks and i even got to play him on the uh on the tabletop which i'll talk about in a minute um but after i got him done over a couple of nights i broke out obi-wan kenobi because like if you're getting a lot of progress done why slow down so i've got obi-wan kenobi i got him primed zenithald got his robes done Painted his uh, undercarapace, got the armor blended and ready to go, got his hair wet blended, as well as uh, his uh, skin tones and face highlights and beard. So now it is ready for streaking grime, and then the only, well, I can't say it's fully ready. On his left pauldron, he has a Republic marking that I'm going to have to freehand. So that's got to be done. Um but after I do that quick little freehand on his left pauldron, uh, then he's ready for wash and lightsaber, and he will be done done. So he's then, like 80% of the way there. And then what's your next Star Wars Legion thing? Like, I know there's more you're planning on getting. What's I it going to be? The only thing I have in my house to paint for Star Wars left is Yoda. Um, I pulled him out of a box this week and built him, but he isn't primed or painted or anything. So, uh, you know, if I knock Obi-Wan Kenobi out in the next few days, I might just dive into Yoda and paint Ooh. him up. Mm-hmm. Having a Star Wars over there. I love Star Wars. It's a great vibe. Uh, so, yeah, I'm just killing it. I did order another unit of Phase 1 Clone Troopers so I can start pushing towards an 800-point like tournament standard list level. you got to have three battle line. I only own two. So, you know, trying you to get phase there. one or two troopers. Huh? Are you going to go for phase one or phase two troopers? Phase ones. Um, they're cheaper, and I think they do the job fairly well. And, nice. like, I find when I'm building clone lists, oftentimes, I'm like, damn, I just, like, I need, 
like 10 points and I can get like 30 extra points off of bringing phase ones instead of phase twos. So I'm happy with that, but I'm waiting on them to get here before I can build and paint them. Um, I just ordered them. So hopefully in a couple of weeks I'll have them. Uh, but after those guys are painted, I think I'm going to maybe treat my, if I have every single model painted, I might treat myself to a tank to like Ooh. the floating hover tank. There's a, there's a glorious model. I love it. it. It reminds me of that, um, Clone Wars GameCube game. Yeah. It throws me back to original battlefront. Like it just so good. Um, and also, you could make Plo Koon pilot it, which is amazing. God, the second favorite Star Wars character is Plo Koon. Um, so, like, being if I could put Rex on the table and then put Plo Koon in the tank next to Rex, oh, uh, what a time. So, like, I, I'm genuinely excited. Um, I also played some games. Uh, my wife and I threw down. She's wanting to learn Star Like, she wants to make a concerted push to try to learn... Uh, Star Wars Legion, so we're playing once a week, and uh, we played a game where I took all of my clones, led by uh, Captain Rex, and threw them up against her rebels with a bunch of, like, Mandalorian warriors and Sabine Wren and Jen Erso, as well as uh, some, like, uh, that ate a lot of points, but just, like, regular foot troops. And uh, it ended up being a pretty dominant victory for the clones. Uh, she made the mistake of making a list that is very, very elite at like 500 points. Which left her kind of down on activations and board presence. And I think that got her. Um, like she certainly had more straight up punch with that one unit of like all super kitted out Mandalorians. Um, but... Rex had enough punch to help while also giving out a bunch of like aim tokens to the other clones to make them punch above their weight class. And in the end, it just overwhelming fire got her. But it was a really good game. Uh, and she immediately made a new list for us to play again. And uh, as I'm recording, that game is going on downstairs. Uh, we got the board set up and got all the cards set up and all the units deployed, but ran out of time yesterday to actually start playing. So. That's on the list. Oh, and also, John's a bastard man because he wants me to play a new faction for uh, a Song of Ice and Fire. So I've done some research there. I'm going to count that as hobby time uh, for oh, the yeah? Martells. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm a piece of shit and I want you to beat the shit out of me with like spear desert dudes. Guerrilla fighting desert warriors. Yeah. So for those of you who haven't known Joseph for years like I have, this man loves spears. I do. Uh I've watched this man fight other people in an open field with a spear more times than I can honestly count. And that, I, I need you. You have your Gambison dudes, right? You love Gambisons. You have your Gambison night, night watch. You need the spear dudes. They're all spears. It's true. It's true. And your, your wife loves Pedro Pascal. <laughs> like... <laughs> <laughs> Let's be honest. That's like by panic the faction. <laughs> there's there's a lot to love going on over there. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
yeah, I, I will admit the moment I mentioned Martell's existed, my wife did go, show me Oberyn's model. <laughs> I mean, he's show a handsome me lad. Model. It's a handsome lad, but it's not Pedro Pascal. She's disappointed. But yeah, Martells do seem cool, especially now that they've got some other unit options. Uh, when it was just the starter box, obviously it's going to be a little rough because they don't have any options. Uh, but you know, now that they've come out with like three or four new boxes as well as the new Heroes upgrade uh, box, I might pull the trigger on that. But then that means Ooh. we got to play more Song of Ice and Fire. Oh no. Oh no. Games. What a shame. And then we'd have to make a faction focus on them. Oh no. Shame. Um, I don't know. We'll see if I buy them or not. But if I don't, I know it's going to be a spicy topic. And speak of which, let's get on to the topic. All right, John. Uh, so I feel like it is not like I want to make a disclaimer at the front of this. That I really think the point of this is how we interact with each other as a community. However, there's been a huge event going on in the Dungeons and Dragons world, which is, you know, hobby adjacent. It's tabletop. It's not a war game, but it's a miniatures game doing battles and stuff. Um, there's been colossal news and shakeups over there. It is hot, like, not just hot, it is molten lava over there. Uh, and I think it makes a good touchpoint example that is relevant to us that I can quickly describe and immediately show. And we'll also mention some others that have happened, some of which are in our own tabletop wargaming sphere. But I think that this is worth talking about and springboarding into the thing that I think is most important. Um, so to do this, I want to first give like John and I are going to give a quick overview of uh, the OGL situation, as you've probably heard it returned to, referred as. Um, so I'm going to preface this all with I am certainly not a lawyer. Uh, and not just not a lawyer, I am not an intelligent man. And sometimes if I look at legalese court documents for too long, my eyes cross. So I cannot give you the intricacies of like U.S. copyright versus patent law and the intersectionality with other disciplines and contractual obligations. Like I just, I ain't that guy. Um, yeah. The other day I put my shoes on the wrong way around. So I'm really not that guy. But what I can do is try to give like the thousand foot view situation. Um, so in D and D, since, I believe, 98, but for quite a while now. It started in uh, third... Actually, I yeah, can't... Third yeah, third edition. Um, Dungeons & Dragons, made by Wizards of the Coast, uh, came out with a document called the OGL, which is short for Open Gaming License. And what this license did, in essence, was say that other people than them are allowed to use a lot of themes of their game to make homemade content for it, specifically for D&D. And you didn't have to pay them anything. Uh, you didn't have to uh, like owe them royalties or licenses or anything like that. 
Rather, if you wanted to make a project, you could. Here are some guidelines you have to follow to get those. They were not very strict. And that led to a bloom of third-party resources that have been delightful. Like, full disclosure, yeah. I have played D&D since 3rd edition. So, like, I feel strongly that this is great for the game. Uh, and I would argue that the metrics of D&D's rise also supports that it has been great for the game. I uh, would genuinely make an argument that Wizards made a big fumble with certain other editions after 3rd edition. That if not for the OGL, their game probably would have left the market entirely. I don't know if it would have left entirely, but it may have been crippled. Like that it, I hopefully agree with. Yeah, it would not have came back in the way that it did. Um, so... They made this document and people started making third-party content. Um, and we've gotten a ton of big names out of this. I mean, Pathfinder may be their like, biggest competition in their direct uh, sort of correlations between systems made off of this. Uh, big shows like Critical Role or Dimension 20 also largely made off of this. It's why they're able to make their own source books and stuff and sell them to people. All of the various Kickstarters you've seen off of this. I mean, the source, like, downstairs, I was just reading uh, Grim Hollow, which is like a uh, third-party dark gothic fantasy supplement made off the OGL. Uh, and these things have been cranking out at an incredible pace and at a wonderful quality for years. And it was one of those things that everyone has enjoyed and has been a rising tide that lifted all boats and... Honestly, I don't think anyone ever thought about too deeply because we just thought, yeah, like it exists and people are going to keep using it. Yeah, like this this was a thing that felt similar to like the concept of rolling dice or like having a d20 in this game system. Like we never thought this would go away or like the concept of levels or certain classes. Like it's to that degree, like it's, it's been married to this as a concept for over two decades Pushing three. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's like also League of Legal has made a video about this. You can go watch. He's very, very more educated than me. Many more would word gooder. Um, but D&D is unique in how much community involvement there is in it. Um, because let's be honest, the whole game is centered around dungeon masters being extremely creative in making their own worlds, and it encourages you to have your own ideas and to flesh them out deeply for your players to explore. And it is not surprising that if that is the fundamental touchstone of the game, that people would take a bunch of their good ideas and put them into books. Um, or and, use them to create content and shows and, and all sorts of other stuff that they themselves monetized from the like inspiration that they had from this initial thing. Yeah, I mean, like, when I was younger, the internet, like, well, okay, the internet existed when I was younger, certainly, but in Kentucky, I barely had access to it. Uh, so we would, like, share uh, scans of books around on, like, loose-leaf paper, or we'd write them down in notebooks and hand them around. But So, like, this has been going on forever. Uh, now it's just a bigger way to distribute them with people getting together. And that has been great. However, a story recently broke from Gizmodo uh, that they had received a leaked document uh, from Wizards of the Coast 
they did obviously they're not going to name their source but the keynote here is that they did independently verify that it at least by all accounts appears to be true and legit at least they got this document from wizards um and then they released it as journalists and uh y'all it has been a firestorm since and much of it justifiedly because this thing is horrific yes so the big changes there are a lot of them this is 96 pages y'all like i am not reading this verbatim but the big ones for me that really stick out are uh one they say uh that everything you make they are going to get a royalty free it for perpetuity license to all of your creations so if you make a source book they get it and that they can use it as they see fit, which means they could just publish your own shit. Uh, also, uh, notif- you have to send them notification about everything that you're making in the pipeline. Uh, then more, uh, if you're above a certain threshold, you have to report your financials to them. Uh, and if you're at a higher threshold, you owe them 25% royalties over 750000 And I think uh, it's... 20% if you're a Kickstarter. And I think it's important to know that that higher threshold doesn't even break a million. So, no. like, that is not a lot of money when running your entire, like, own company. Like, it's a lot of money, but that is a lot less than you'd think. And it's so gross. They, it's gross. It's not profit. It's gross. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yes, it's also gross because, that like, you were squeezing the life out of, like, small developers, but... But yeah, I mean, like, even what makes that more horrific is that it is gross income, which is yes. frigging damaging. And uh, this would stranglehold the community. Uh, and very quickly, people started to share this around and share their opinions and got colossally angry and friggin' good. <laughs> I also very not happy. Um, you know, it's like they're cannibalizing their own community. Like that, a, a comparison could be like, say GW managed to put out a license on any sort of like Warhammer adjacent game, like all like the one page rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if they were able to just start demanding they pay them money? Twenty five percent. Yeah, like <laughs> that. That's that's the allegory we're going for here. Like, what if GW got to look at other companies and go, "You have to pay us money because you're playing with miniature games." Yeah, it's a, uh, it's terrible. It's real bad, and everyone said so vehemently. Uh, and like since then, the story has developed. Wizards have made a response. It was not a good one. Um, it, to me, it feels very much so like a big corporation going, Oh no, we're just a dumb big billion dollar company. We don't know no things. Uh, that's our bad. We just have all these high fluting, very educated, intelligent lawyers. And they did a big old oopsie for 96 pages. We did not mean it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you did not mean it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I quote: but, but, "We rolled a one, like which, okay. We're trying to protect you from the NFTs. <laughs> we're trying to protect you from the fascists. Like, no, no, <laughs> you're trying to monetize me having fun with this thing that I've had since I was a child. 
Like, don't spit in my mouth and tell me it's raining. Like, get out of here. Just get like, out of here. Yeah, like, come on now. <laughs> we aren't this stupid. But, like, okay, so the response was even worse. <laughs> and um, this itself, like, the actual reaction of everyone, like, almost burning it to the ground is great. You'll love to see it. Y'all love to see companies being held accountable by their customers. Um, but do you love a good Twitter outrage? <laughs> Can't confirm. When it's justified, and that's rare, whole buddy. <laughs> when the moon hits the sky and Twitter's a lie, <laughs> they fucked up now. Yeah, a lot of people canceling subscriptions and like personally, like just to know where I stand, because I feel like saying all of this without saying my personal opinion is bad. Uh I I'm done with D and D. Like just pragmatically speaking, I don't think this is gonna stop. I think they are going to backpedal on a few of the key sticking points while sliding in other slimy nonsense. Uh, well, they have they have enough money that they can just wait for this to cool down and then do it later, quieter when the leak hasn't happened. Like, yeah, like th- this is this is on their mind. This is where it's going. Um, I will not. Like, the nicest way to say this is that if you support this, like if you if you're if you're with it, then you're that's your choice. But it's not good for me. Like, and obviously you've just said it's not good for you. And I think for the vast majority of players, it's toxic. Like it just it, it's not for the players in mind. And I always will side with the players in these games, not the companies. So, mm-hmm. well, and like. The, the pressures that made them run in this direction have not gone away. I mean, in my opinion, I certainly don't have insider information. It appears that uh, Hasbro is having a rough time and needs to increase their income. And as much as this recently on their fireside chat, you can listen to the CEO say that she feels like, like uh, D&D is under monetized. And uh, if you're a Magic the Gathering player, you have seen where this goes. Um, But the fact that there was a bunch of backlash doesn't mean the reason they tried to get all this extra money is gone. Uh, So I think it's going to happen again. So personally, I'm just walking away from D&D, which is a shame. You know, I've run a ton of games. I've brought dozens of people into D&D, which now tastes and a, a little acrid um and i will just go play one of their many wonderful competitors because there's just a overwhelming amount of great games on the market um so like that's a whole thing but what i think is important is to discuss why this should matter to us because i know there are some people who are like yeah like i don't i don't play dnd Although there may be like eight people thinking that, because let's be honest, most of us probably also play D&D at varying intervals. Yeah, and like not just with the D&D thing, but like, I mean, you were just talking and while you're talking, it's clear like you're struggling to like get it out because you're worried what the backlash is going to be. But like the internet as a whole is a place where people love to fight. (laughs) God, they do. It is a Thunderdome. Um and that doesn't mean that that's right. Like, just because it is doesn't mean that that's what we should be doing as a community. 
when it comes to talking about how hot and button stuff. Um, and we can't change community. We can't become community police, but there are things that we can do like personally, especially in a, in a community where we have to see each other face to face. Like if me and Joe get into a fight on the internet, we're going to have to like sit across from a table with each other and push these little plastic trays with song and ice fire against each other. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, it's different. You know, I feel like a lot of online communities are just that expressly on lot. Cause you're not playing like legal legends face to face in rolling dice. Like, but you just, you play on the internet. If you're like a pro, you might play in person, but that's not how people play. So but sure, if you notice like, the, the pros in these games, like I'll use it, like World of Warcraft as another example. The pros that play in these games are on streams were very public facing. They tend to have a different perspective and are much less volatile for a reason. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rather than like you are playing against people who are just little avatars on a screen and you've dehumanized them. So like it's easier for folks to hurl terrible, terrible shit at them uh, and obscenities and whatnot. Same thing on comment threads or Reddit threads. Like, I feel like the community is so, so, so spicy and disrespectful uh, online uh, because it's sort of anonymous and you're disconnected. And I highly doubt most of that would be said in person. Um, but the thing is, we are an in-person community. And what I noticed and why I really wanted to make this episode was I had an interaction where... It felt a little weird because it feels like there was some bleed over and I hated it. Um, so like I have been in a D&D game for a couple of years uh, that uh, my buddy Josh has been running. It's been real fun. And um, in that group is a uh, bud who I play with, who I think actually listens to the show. So if you're listening, hey, what's up? I'm not going to drop names or anything because it could be weird. Um but obviously, we got together yesterday morning for our D&D game that has, you know, we've scheduled out for the whole year. And obviously, we get together in person to play D&D after the OGL stuff has happened. We're going to talk about the OGL. <laughs> Ooh, hey, it's one of them, like, tea conversations. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, you have to talk about it. It's it's unavoidable. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, like, Josh and I were talking, and it was fine. Um. And, like, Josh and I, largely the same opinion, though, so of course it feels easy. Uh, but uh, Bud at the table uh, is not pro D&D, but just a little hesitant. You know, has not been a part of it from the start, uh, does not know all the ins and outs, and is also, much like me, fully aware that they are not a contract lawyer. So some of that is a little hard to understand. Um, and, like, in asking about it, it was essentially, huh... There's some pro like there is incentive to lie on both sides of this thing if you are competition to rile the drum and make this look worse than it is, or if you're D and D to underplay it, and essentially it made them a little uncomfortable on where exactly to fall, um, and that's not a terrible opinion at all. Certainly, skepticism is good, and we should have it. But the thing that struck me weird is I could feel. Like, I am, when I talk to people, like, I, I could really feel when stuff changes a little bit. That's probably a drama response. Um, but it was almost like I could feel their nerves. Like, they were almost nervous to say that opinion over, like, a 
couple of minute conversation. And, um, I like, I cannot say for sure where that's from, but I suspect it's because that opinion online would get you burned at the stake, even though it's a fairly reasonable one. And I don't know, like if he thought I would be mad or spicy or whatever, but, uh, I mean, obviously I was not, I just asked clarifying questions and led with some damn empathy because I don't think it's unreasonable and simply ask, you know, okay, well, like if you're unsure about the leak, that's fair. But like what burden of proof would work for you? It's an old trick with talking about politics in Kentucky. Like if journalists independently verifying it isn't enough, like what thing would meet your burden of proof to where you would think that leaked document was a draft. Yeah, like, I'm not trying to convince you. I'm trying to understand where your level of, like, validation is. Like, what what do you view as valid? What do you not view as... What do you view as invalid kind of thing? Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to just get some clarity on where somebody is coming from. Uh, and it helps to have a more productive conversation if you know where they stand. Um and, like, he responded that, oh, I, like, I didn't know that they were, like, journalists who released it and independently verified it. Like, that does change things. And, like, it was that easy, y'all. <laughs> Instead of being spicy and, you know, calling him a cuck lord or whatever on Facebook, like, <laughs> I, I, I asked a reasonable question to a reasonable human being because he is a member of the community and treated him with kindness. And what do you know? He learned something. Uh, and he did bring up some good points that certainly there could be profit in it. I don't think that's necessarily why this got so bad, but sure, it's worth noting. It's not one of those things I really didn't stop to think about implicitly, so that's cool. Um, but the fact that someone had to be nervous to share a, a, what is a reasonable opinion on a hot-button topic is just sad. It's but just it sad. And it's also that if you look at, at why, if you look at why he didn't believe it at first is that it, it's clear he kind of didn't believe it because he's like, oh, it was just, it's more like torches and pitchforks on the internet thing. Right. Which happens some of all the time. Mm -hmm. But if you compare, like, as soon as you were like journalist, it becomes a little bit more real. That journalist bit probably got buried underneath the like 17 videos and 400,000 tweets and the two podcasts by a chuckle fucks who <laughs> are talking about the OGL yeah. in a way that like doesn't really add too much to the conversation. But yeah, like he and, is not going to know every bit of it. You cannot if, yeah. especially if you're a human being working a full-time job, like if you're not perpetually online and if you are not a lawyer or a journalist, like you, you cannot be expected to know every aspect of this. Who's, who's like the journalist? It's their job to learn a bunch of this. Like, that's kind of the, the whole point. Um, yeah, and, and that level of, like, fear to have a conversation in a shared community space is very, very unsettling um, in a world that is consistently becoming more and more attached to the internet and its peripherals. Uh for those who haven't seen CES, like the amount of stuff being attached to like cameras that are attached to your Amazon account is wild. Uh, 
it's scary, right? Like you have a bunch of people who feel scared to talk because people on the internet want to attack other people who probably have the same side as them. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, I d- like I can't, again, I cannot speak to for sure where the nerves were coming from, but it's probably part of it. Uh, and I'm sure also like he didn't know how I was going to react. Thankfully, not spicily, but you know, I certainly could have been a turd, which would have made his nerves justified. And like, yeah, it was, it's a thing, but sometimes you can just pick up when the tone changes and it did. And, uh, I don't like that. I don't like that at all. Yeah. Um, and it's normal to want to talk about stuff, right? Like it's, it's normal to want to communicate in person and also online because it's kind of a, another place to communicate. And everyone has to have a take. Everyone has to have like a thing to say about it because that's a normal human thing. Um, just how you give that to people matters. If, if the only time people are going to interact with you about a topic is like yelling matches, it's not good. Um, a good example I'll give is like there's some there's a world eaters uh, Facebook group that is one of some of the least spicy place I've been on the internet, Huge which fan. is so ironic. Yeah, it's just a bunch of dudes going. Oh, I really like my Terminators I built. They're like super cool. I put these blood work on them. Uh, how do I use them in game? And there's just like twelve dudes will pull up a chair and be like, "Let me explain to you how I like to use them." This might work for you. And it's just very nice cordial men talking about bringing very angry, angry lads. And occasionally a lady will pop in and go, I've put female heads on my Terminators. And one dude will get mad and get kicked. Like, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason that is so good is because of a heavy sense of community moderation. Not just from the moderators, but everyone contributes to the collective social contract of we are here to talk about these fun models we have and how we've modeled them and why they're fun for us and how we can use them better to have fun in the game. And that's how it stays because everyone collectively shuns people who are not part of that collective contract. If you mm-hmm. break, if you, if you push against that and make people uncomfortable, you will be ostracized. And that became very clear. Some people might think that's bad, I think that's probably for the best. <laughs> in an online space, like we don't need to have like we we don't have to accept shitty like behavior and communication. You can have patience for the 45 seconds you're typing a response to somebody on the internet. It's okay. Or you can just ignore it. Like if you can't say something okay, you can just not say anything. Mhm. Because think- what people hear on the internet or like read on the internet, they're going to take into real life. Like you experienced, Joe. Yeah. And I think that's the thing I exactly want to touch on is that like the way we engage with people online bleeds into our real life engagement. And that matters a lot for us as tabletop war gamers. Cause let's be honest, like while tabletop simulator exists, most people play in person, vast majority of us. You get together at your local shop or at somebody's house and you have your little game group and you're going to talk in person. Um, And it's going to bleed there. And God forbid you have a terrible interaction there. It's going to be even worse. So um, the next time you see a spicy thing out there, 
what I would encourage you is this. Like the next time Magic the Gathering releases 30th Anniversary Edition for like $1,000 packs, or the next time Games Workshop starts trying to attack content creators and animations, <laughs> still mad about it. Um, Don't worry, new, new horrors will come. They're, they're arriving soon. Oh, I'm absolutely certain. Like it, it, Just like the sun will rise, something will happen. Um, but when these things happen, and you are talking to community members about them, lead with some empathy and ask clarifying questions rather than exploding on people to try to dunk on them for internet points. If we can try to understand folks who don't 100% agree with you, we can maybe learn some stuff and grow as a group. But at the least, even if we don't, at least we weren't dicks about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and like a good point is that most human beings in like have things in common, right? Like uh, random people you see out in real life, you have probably more in common than you realize. So when you're in a community of like shared interests, you have even more in common than you realize. So you can probably find some sort of like middle ground to have a, like a decent conversation that might actually change some minds or help educate someone to make a better decision for themselves in a like tangible way that you wouldn't have if you didn't have that shared interest. But if you just walk up to them and dunk on them, kick them in the nads, just say, eat shit, turd, and then walk away, they're just going to be more mad and pushed away. Like, well, it, and even if you do it online and you get like a couple of upvotes, like, y'all, when you go to bed, you're still going to be an asshole. Like, it's not going to give yeah. you anything. Upvotes don't like help feed you if everything falls apart. Like, <laughs> it just doesn't, man. It just doesn't. Like, upvotes. Was the that old quote? Um, sure, he reads theory, but does he do the dishes? It's like the the modern rendition of that. Like, sure, you got upvotes, <laughs> but did you get to play a game of Warhammer? <laughs> <laughs> Was everyone coincidentally busy when you ask who wants to play? Um, yeah, like, yeah, it's a thing, uh, and that's really the point I wanted to end this on because I like. Rather than just being mad on the internet, if I, I really want to hammer that point home, and I hope it resonates for people. For you know, there are like I don't know, fifty to eighty people a week who watch the show. I think right now, um, and for people out there, I hope this reaches a few of you. And the next time that a spicy thing happens, you at least take a second and think about it. Um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna piggyback off you real quick, Joe, and just say that like, if you are currently a person who is on the internet that gets real mad and gets like says some real mean shit to people. You can just choose to not do that. And I can say that as a person who has done that for a long time. And then at some point made the decision go, you know what? This is not helping me enjoy the game. This is not helping me enjoy my interactions with people. Um, this is actively making playing and enjoying this interest and this hobby harder. So I had to like take it on back and learn how to like communicate again with people because I was doing it in a toxic way that was ruining my fun too. Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, hurting other people. This is not just coming from like on high on a high horse trying to tell you like how you should talk to people. I genuinely care about people enjoying the hobby and having a good time. And you can change how you talk to people. Coming from a, a, a shit heel himself, <laughs> you, can, you can improve. And I, I think that it's important to genuinely think about that. 
it's worth doing, especially, you know, for a community that's this niche. It's made by us for us. Let's keep it nice. Um, yeah, like this was a weird episode topic, but I hope it, it hits well. And if you have any further thoughts, uh, or questions surrounding this, cause I know it's kind of nuanced, please feel free to reach out to us. The social medias are open, um, as they always are. We are more than happy to take questions or to answer more. Um, or if you have other topics you want us to touch on, uh, please send them our way. We always look forward to adding new ones to the roster. Um, and, and if you want a House Martell faction focus, bully Joe on Instagram and Twitter. No, and don't bully else. me. It's very effective. That's why I'm looking at at Imperial Knights in my display case. Um, damn it. I'm going to probably end up having to paint spears. Damn you, John. Already working. <laughs> so now that's been all of our opinions. Bonafide, Kentucky Fried. We'll see y'all in the next one.